Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always by my good friends Ronnie Martin and Barnabas Piper. And boys, we have a uh, entirely listener-generated show uh, today because we are all about the listener here at the Happy Ramp Podcast, and uh, we're so about the listener uh, that we've kind of gently floated an idea out uh, in the last episode, and we got some traction on it online. Uh, that is, there is some building interest in uh, in some undisclosed venue in an undisclosed town uh, hosting potentially a uh, a happy rant live event, man. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a conference, an event, or simply a gathering, but uh, but I would be uh, I would be very excited to do that uh, either way. Could so it, could it be a colloquium? Oh, dude, a colloquium, yes. Yeah. Fellas, I don't even know what that means. I need I some explanations. Think, I think that gives us the right to only have like eight people there. That gives us the right to have eight people and be super boring. <laughs> Perfect. It's <laughs> a colloquium. Done. I work in an academic setting and things that are called colloquiums are always super boring. So um, yeah, that, that might be something to explore for sure. But all of that said, uh, all kidding aside, if you're interested in a happy rant gathering of some kind – uh, which will, I'm sure, involve uh, the taping of some live episodes. Uh, and yes, I realize that was contradictory. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, hit Barnabas up uh, or Ronnie, not me, and um, let us know. Uh, let us know what you're thinking, and uh, and we would love to make this happen. Uh, Pipe, we've got a, a sponsor today, don't we? We do. We've got uh, Nav Press, who is <clears throat> who is going to be with us for the entire month of March. So uh, nice. they are sponsoring us again with the book "Cry of the Soul: How Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God." And uh, before you jump off listening, because that sounds all touchy feely, it's actually a really, really interesting and helpful book. The authors are Dan Allender, who is a he's a counselor and. Uh, and a professor. So he has a background in counseling people who have trauma and abuse situations. And then Tremper Longman is the other author. He is a professor at Westminster Seminary. He's an Old Testament guy, specializes in the Psalms. So you kind of have this this, uh, dual practical theological thing weaving together. But the, the idea of the book is to ask the questions, what are we doing with the sorrows of life? And mm-hmm. what is our heart doing with God? So the idea being that our emotions reveal something about God and something about us. They're not just problems to be dealt with, looking specifically at negative emotions. So so often we, especially in the Western world, treat them as like a to-do list of things to fix or to uh, to sort of treat with you know, however we end up treating our emotions, we sort of try to do away with them. And they're saying, no, these are these serve a purpose to point us to God, and they use the Psalms as a paradigm for that. Uh, so it's it's biblical. It's it'd be really really helpful for a pastor in a counseling situation, or just for a person who's trying to figure out how to have a healthy faith and emotional life and how those things work together. So again, the name of that is "Cry of the Soul: How Our Emotions Reveal Our Deepest Questions About God." by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. That's from Nav Press. It's available now. It's actually a re-release of a book that came out several years ago, and so they're putting it out again, and I think it's probably as timely as ever considering you know, just the rise of anxiety and depression and things that people deal with. So uh, go check that one out, especially if you're in a position where you're trying to counsel others and help them. I think this book would be really, really beneficial. Nice. nice. Now, as Reformed men, we obviously have a deep... Uh, seated hatred and distrust of all emotions and all things emotional. So, yes, uh, the fa- the fact that that book even has the word emotion in the title, man, just makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I know that's that's why I gave a trigger warning right at the beginning because I knew people heard right. emotion and just tuned out. 
Yeah, okay. yeah. All of our hardcore reform guys just muted for a few seconds, and uh, and now we can let them know that it's okay to come back in. We're not going to cause them to stumble. That's right. Uh, you know what? I've always I've always appreciated the name Tremper Longman. I feel like that's a that's a like what a name from one of those like white fangy books that we would have to read in middle school. Yeah, you know? or, or like a New Zealand rugby player. Or New Zealand, yeah, like an adventurous little boy or a New Zealand rugby player. Yeah, like it sounds he, very. It's very sporty. I was going to say it does sound like a football player, but I, you know, and, what do I know? And about yet, this? he's an Old Testament prophet, Westminster, which gives it sounds like which that gives too. lie yeah. to the sportiness. I think, or like a or like a tennis player, like a guy with a sweater mm. tied around his neck. Oh, that's it. The, I think you nailed it. Club, you know, yeah, it's tennis. Either it's, way, it's a great name. <laughs> all I'm thinking it's is tennis, tennis now. Yeah, it is. It is a strong name. It really is, man. You're not gonna you're not gonna fail with that name. Uh, all right, boys. Let's uh, let's dive right in. Uh, again, these were listener suggestions, and the first one I thought was just just really hot, man, really timely. Uh, and it has to do with this idea of kind of mid-level marketing schemes finding their, their way into churches. And by that, I mean like – or multi-level marketing schemes probably would be a better, a better phrase for it. But yeah. these sorts of work-at-home kind of situations where uh, people basically end up selling products to just their peers – and and usually uh, trying to sign up other people to sell and then they make money off of those people who sell. That's it, man. Yeah, that's that's exactly the type of scheme we're talking about. And uh, have you guys seen this in your churches? Have you seen kind of the, the rise in this sort of behavior? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was talking to uh, Piper a little bit earlier about it. I, the first thing that came to my mind was like sort of the rise of essential oils mm-hmm. and how it seems like this is something that like women especially like just really, really get excited about. Absolutely. They wanna, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the new version of like Tupperware parties from like four decades ago where they want to get, <laughs> they want to get everybody chef. in. Yeah. Absolutely. Pampered chef. They want to get every, it's like scrapbooking for like the modern era, you know, they want to oh, get everybody together. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they're still doing that, but I would say essential oils is becoming like an essential for like all churches and all oh, women in churches to gather women together in churches. Where, to, I don't know whereby their whereby their husbands are also uh, converted because they <laughs> the thing about essential oils, unlike stuff like Tupperware parties, is that it's not just a consumer good; it's actually a conduit to a better life. Oh, dude, you're so right. It is a life-changing religious sort of experience, I'm pretty sure, based on the sales pitches I've heard. I mean, look, my my wife and her friend went to an essential oils party at the (laughs) at the last church we're at, and they man, they describe it. I'm not kidding, man, as literally one of the most ridiculous things ever. I mean, they're putting these oils like you know on their hands. One of them gets one of my friends, Jillian, gets some oil in her eyes, and she's literally crying the rest of the night (laughs) because there's like peppermint oil just dripping out of her eyes. I mean, it was literally insane, and we've laughed about essential oil parties like ever since then yeah i feel like a party that involves the phrase here smell me is uh is (laughs) is questionable dude seriously though if your lady hasn't blown a big wad of cash on essential oils you're just not married i mean you know i i just think that's a that's kind of part and parcel it's kind of like tithing 10 percent every month you know you're you're gonna you're gonna just go ahead and budget some uh some cashish right away to uh essential oils if, if your lady wants to have a social life in the church am i right I mean, Big T has Double K invested in essential. Has she invested your hard 
burns <laughs> cash into essential oils? Dude, actually, yeah, we're not we're not doing any kind of retirement program here. I mean, it's all we got. <laughs> we got all that tied up in in liquid assets, and by that I mean actual actual liquid, liquid yeah. actual oils. You know. Well, here's the thing: if you if you take them properly, you won't die. So what's Dude, the point right, of retiring? I'm, you will be healthy forever and ever. I'm gonna live yeah. forever, so I can teach for like another 900 years. I mean, the field is gonna change a little bit. I'm guessing, but. You'll be uh, a great history prof in like a hundred years. Absolutely. I mean, Big T, if you just transfer that cash over to craft beers and grow out a legit beard, I mean, you and Joe Thorne could have like, you know, you could invest that money in a little better tasting liquid. I would say, you know? <laughs> dude, we could, man, we could. <laughs> you know, the possibilities are uh, are endless. Um, what have you guys seen? Have you seen anything else besides essential oils kind of uh, making its way into the space? Do we have any sense for? Uh, kind of what the next trend is going to be. Well, I, the thing that I see is is it it almost always happens in the gender specific like Bible studies. So the Tuesday yeah. morning ten thirty Bible study for women, or the you know Tuesday morning six a.m. Bible study for men, because yeah. we still assume that men work and women don't. Um, and it's it those become networking opportunities. So mm. what and and it creates this weird social dynamic of that's right. I'm like, here. are we hanging out because we like each other? Or are you just trying to sell me on your your right? Thing? You're are you using my friendship? Are you sitting at my table because you think I too can sell Mary Kay? Or for the guys, it's often like, you know, they're they're in realty, they're in insurance, and they they basically have to create a list of cold contacts, and so they're like, yeah. hey, are you in the market for a house? You're like, no, I'm here to study First John. What about you? Dude, you know what? <laughs> it, it makes me long for the day when. The awkward sales pitch was about someone's missions trip. You know, I mean, can we just go back there? <laughs> yeah, that's more of a vintage awkward feeling. It was vintage you know? awkward, and and if you, I mean, at least there was like a genuine guilt attached to that, as opposed yeah. to like the faux guilt. Because if you said no to that, you're you're kind of a jerk, even if you Absolutely. couldn't afford it, or you're supporting twenty five other missionaries or whatever. If you yeah. say no to the uh, to the salesperson, male or female, you feel like a jerk, and then you realize no, they're actually the one who's kind of a jerk because they just asked you to buy stuff or sell stuff to make them money at a at a Bible study or a well, I just the whole thing where you you can't just say I'll I'll pray for you about your essential oils <laughs> business. You know what I mean? I, I can't do a gift at this time, but put me down to sure, I'll, I'll be a, a prayer partner. Your essential yeah. oils. You know? <laughs> put me on your prayer partner list. Absolutely. Yeah, we have, we have a prayer chain for essential oils as substance. That's just one of the things we do. <laughs> I, I just can't, I kind of miss the days of. I'd like to go back to like vintage scrapbooking. I mean that oh, that's something okay. I feel like I'm excited about. I can get behind. Well, shoot, if adult and coloring books are back, back, scrapbooking is next. Yeah, I mean, I want to hire like a scrapbooking like director of yeah. ministry for our church. <laughs> yeah, if that's yeah. possible, can we bring that back as like a retro vintage thing, or what do you guys? Think? Uh, you mean if what you would need to do is put it in as like a line item on the job description of of like your community and outreach person. That that person becomes the scrapbooking coordinator because that's a that's a that's a community event. It brings Dude, people. slower, Barnabas. I'm typing this all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, you can, you'll just have to go back and listen to the podcast, Ronnie. Yeah, which I would never do. I would never do that. I would never do that. Sitting on a stool. Um, (laughs) I've actually actually seen blog posts where literally, uh, or or I should say, I mean, addressing this as a literal problem in churches, you know, so how how, uh, pastors or women's ministers or whatever can can address the uh, multi-level marketing issue in their church. So apparently in some churches, it is something that has has conf- so confused the dynamic of uh, Bible studies or community or whatever that, that it's something they have to address at the leadership level, and that's that's nuts. And oh, guys, don't man, if you went to one of these gigantic like Chandlerian, you know, 
5,000 seat churches, you can make a nice chunk of change, man. Yeah, for You're sure. Probably looking at six figures on your, uh, you know, your central <laughs> oils business. But, but imagine, imagine, like, wouldn't that confuse, wouldn't you just run into a bunch of rival business people after a while? Like you'd have little That's factions true. of like, this is my Mary Kay team and this is my Mary Kay team. And, and you're trying to, the mark. you're trying to recruit the same people and sell to the same people. And yeah. goodness, that, I think that would be a mess. Dude, here's the thing. I'm, I can't name names, obviously, because but but I've seen that happen to where so you get these you get these women that are like they're seeing what's happening over there with essential oils and they think I'm going to do my thing and then when everybody who who signed up for the essential <laughs> class doesn't come to their gig, like it starts getting like well I mean what like nobody cares about what I want to do and nobody wants oh. to like be a part of my thing. So it does. Yeah. What you're saying is true. It creates some kind of competitive rivalry, which is like after a while you're like, guys, what are we like? What are we doing here, baby? That's like, right. You know what though? It is it is so perfect for churches though because women, especially now, like I mean, you feel like you're just a failure as a woman unless you're staying home and schooling your children. But then then there's the sense of like, well, I could make a little extra income. I could do it from my home. So yeah, I mean, this thing was it. It's the perfect storm. Well, I mean, I. I I, uh, I have a good friend who I grew up with who's killing it in one of these things. I mean, she does uh, what is it? Um, like jamberry nails, so they're like fake nails. And okay, she she has won or earned, I should say, multiple vacations for her and her husband. Like one one in Hawaii, wow. one in the Caribbean, and she has a team of people who sell under her, and they're doing great. And and uh, so, I mean, as a business venture, that that can be pretty lucrative if you're if you're a good worker. It's it's weird when you bring it into church, though. I feel like you should turn off the work thing when you get to church, because otherwise, yeah, otherwise everybody's a potential employee, a potential yeah. client, or a rival, and that's Absolutely. that's not exactly healthy in the church context. Exactly. No, now I'm just jealous of your jamberry people for getting all those free. Vacations I know. I wish I could go sell nails. I I haven't been on vacation to Hawaii. Yeah, Dude, no how doubt. do you sell a set of fake nails? You know what I mean? I would love to see that pitch. Just <laughs> yeah, for I don't know. Sake. I, you know? I I just I just track these things on Facebook and and am uh, stunned at the success of it. I don't know, Ted. How do you sell anything that includes beauty? I mean, uh, let me put the question back at you because Jamberry nails are beautiful. Yeah. Jamberry nails make make a woman feel more like a woman. And <laughs> I'm I'm so I mean I Sign I me think up. we need to let's pose the question. Let's pose the question about beauty. Let's get into that aspect of it. All right, and then and then you'll see where I'm going with this. Baby, I, lo- I love what you've done there. You've turned the question back around on me, and you've made me think more deeply about the matter. You know, I mean, do we want to be flipping about Jamberry nails? I mean, do we want to make a mockery of baby, everything that could me. provide free vacations for I us? Would never or do we want to take these Jamberry nails? Do we want to take these things serious now and think that maybe the three of us could be taking Mediterranean vacations, doing our podcast on a white sandy beach? Listen to me, man. Two ideas. Number one. Um, could we get this Jamberry Nails uh, associate of pipes to sponsor some eps? I feel that's like. what I'm talking about. Obviously, yeah, obviously, guys. There's there's business tie-ins all over the place here, man. And I'm I'm thinking as an executive now of the Happy Rant. Uh, so can we get some sponsorship cashish out of her? And, and number two, um, could the three of us maybe go in on a uh, Jamberry Nails franchise using this pl- uh, podcast as a platform and just just see how we do, man. See how well, many sets I mean, of nails we could sell. I mean, and, and how many people we, just, we could sign up to sell under us. Exactly. Or just do an entirely new and separate, like, Happy Jamberry Rant podcast. <laughs> happy Jam <laughs> Podcast. 
<laughs> like right. our own, like our own branded nails, you know. You know what? I think the ideas are just flowing like mud right now. I'm feeling good. We're having a good afternoon. We're talking about things that matter, and um, I feel like there's potential now. I feel like Shaping there's potential the for our for our broadcast now. Yeah, it matters that we do this. You know, I didn't know before, but now I now I feel good about it. That's what uh, I'm saying. Got, Guys, let's talk about uh, people who don't feel good about things. And one of the listener suggestions was uh, this idea of hate watching shows. Uh, so what this means is apparently there are people out there who, uh, because of the, the the miracle of Netflix and Amazon Prime, they they latch onto these shows that they hate, that they want to just sort of make fun of or rip on, and they hate watch the programs. So they do it for that express purpose. Uh, my questions to you boys are, one, do you do this? Uh, and two, why would anyone ever do this? <laughs> <laughs> do you? And if you do, you should feel ridiculous for doing I just so. feel like yeah. I feel like hate watching has to be code for, and we talked a little bit about this. I feel like hate watching has to be code for, I actually love this, but I'm yeah. afraid to admit that I watch this. Right. So I have to attach the negative bent on it so that I don't get ridiculed. Yeah, like, oh, haha, I'm making fun of The Bachelor. And, and by that, I mean I watch religiously every week and, and spend lots yeah. of time reflecting, reflecting on what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, I watch it and then I record it and I watch it again, but I have to tell everybody that I hate it so much. Right, right. And, and I, yeah, and I think it would be the whole hate watching thing would probably be a little bit more accurate if people just watched it and they said something like, I know it's a ridiculous show, but I love it. Yeah. Cause, exactly. Because saying you hate it is like, for example, I, I don't. There's no shows that I currently hate watch, but the movies, the uh, the Expendables, you know, the ones with all the oh, 80s yeah. action stars. Yeah. Those are the the dumbest. Oh, dude, they're so stupid. They're so, but they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're, they are. They're really fun to watch. Precisely because they're <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And so I don't say I hate those movies. I will say they're awful, and I love them. Yeah. And so yeah. that that's not hate watching. That's loving the ridiculous. Whereas people who who rip watch a show and just rip on The Bachelor? That's the one that comes to mind. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm sure there are others. I, yeah, I feel like that is probably sort of a uh, like a, a closeted love for it. Yeah, most de- most definitely, man. Big R, do you have any uh, uh, hate watching programs, either uh, current or past? I mean, I really don't. I mean, there's been shows that I remember back in the day, like we started watching and for some reason I had like a bent against them. I remember like Survivor, like my wife was like, please, can we watch Survivor? And I'm like, all right. So we start watching Survivor and I I went into it already hating it. And then I was like 10 minutes into it thinking like this is the greatest show I've ever seen. Why have we not watched this? And um, so I got I kind of got hooked into some shows with sort of a preconceived sort of hater mentality but just man who has who has time to just sit down and watch something that you don't like you know like who yeah. who would do that i just don't I, understand that I mentality think, I, I think there are probably people who watch shows and they genuinely dislike them what they love is being contrarian to the people who do like them absolutely so they they want to i mean it would be like it would be like me listening to bro country the worst uh, form of music in the world yeah. And just because I wanted to rip on the music and the people who liked it. Now the thing is I, that to me that doesn't make any sense because I'm like no you that means you have to consume the thing you hate. That's ridiculous. But I think there are people who do that. They genuinely love ripping on the show and how awful it is or the pe- specifically the people who enjoy the show because they want to feel superior. I don't understand doing that. If you hate something just just turn it off. Go well, do it something like you it- like. 
is it like a water cooler thing? So in other words, like if let's say you're in like a job sitch where like you got everybody that's just really into a particular show. Do you watch it so that you have some way to feed into it with all of your friends who love it and you're the one guy I that can guess. come into it? Yeah, thinking that, that you just – That just seems like an incredibly low form of, uh, of, of insecurity where you can't just show up and be like, oh, no, I didn't watch that. Right. I mean how hard is that? To just be like, nope, sorry, don't watch that show. Don't enjoy I it. I mean, yeah, it's actually pretty easy to not watch the show, it's, isn't it? It's I the mean. easiest thing in the world to not hit play and not take 45 minutes to do something or an hour. Right. I mean, I think that's easy, guys. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't struggle with that. Guys, there's a lot of truth in that, man. Words, <laughs> words to live by, for sure. Amen. You know, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if anybody hate listens to the Happy Rant podcast. You know what I mean? Hey, I would love, yeah, I'd love to find out. Let's let's put that out to our listeners, our our our, our listeners that maybe hate us. Yeah, I yeah. Does anyone hate listening? Please. I just want to know. Yeah, know? absolutely. I if no, okay. Here's here's a, here's an interesting parallel. You know who you know who is uh, who is guilty of this hate consumption thing? Who are the conservative evangelical book reviewers and readers and bloggers who go after? Rachel the Held Evans and others <laughs> because they they know they are going to abhor the book going in but they find oh, yeah. some sort of pleasure in reading it and ripping on it. Dude, you're right. That's so true. That's such a real thing, you know? That that I think is probably the closest to home for our listener base in terms of people who just deep dive into this they're like, "Oh, Rob Bell came out with another book. I'm going to read it and hate it." Yeah. Why? Just skip the book and save your fourteen dollars or whatever. I don't. That 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 is a real a real thing that a lot of people do, for sure. Well, boys, we've got uh, we've got one more topic, one more great uh, listener suggestion this afternoon, and uh, the this listener wanted to know uh, what what's the book or books? What are the books that uh, that most influenced you as a writer or most made you want to write? Uh, Big R, let's uh, let's start with you, man. Oh man. I mean, that's tough. I got to think about that. I don't, I, gosh. I sent this I, to you like 20 minutes ago. That was plenty of time to think. I know. And, you know, here's the thing. I, so it's like funny because I, I just, I feel like I, I feel like I'm not one of these guys that has, you know, I grew up as a music guy. I, I mean, I, I've always been a reader, but I, I'm more about, a, I'm, I'm more about like favorite singer, songwriter slash artists than I've ever been like going gaga over authors, even though I, there's a lot of books that I love. So I, I don't know, I don't know that there was ever any one thing where I just thought, man, now I need to write. Cause I think my writing just sort of came out of what I was already doing, you know, in terms of writing musically. So I know that sounds like a really like artistically driven answer, but why don't you go ahead and answer well, uh, Piper and let me think Ronnie, about it. Take it the, uh, take it the singer songwriter route. What, who, who have been uh, influences there? Cause if you're, if you're a music writer, creator, that's, that's no, uh, that's no less of a creative venture. Yeah. I Dude, think we could, I, we could, we could amend the question completely to say, who are the biggest musical influences on your writing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's even worse for me. I don't know. I like, uh, I like, this is what I like. And, and both of you guys know how to do this. I like real, I like clever writing. Mm-hmm. I like, I like writing that has a humorous bent to it. And I also like really sort of beautiful, sort of poetic writing, even though, even if it's not like poetry, like just writing about a topic or a subject, and there's there's very much sort of a, a, a musical lyrical flow to it. So I really like that. But I also like writing that's funny. Like I really really appreciate like humorous, kind of cynical, somewhat sarcastic writing. So I I, I mean Ted, you're really good at that. You're one of those kind of writers. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, um, so um, yeah, I don't know. I like a combination of those things. So at times. 
I, I can fall, you know, in, into either of those sides of, of writing. But that's the kind of writing that that really inspires me. Something that feels a little more. Um, you know, transcendent. There's this writer right now named Zach Eswine that wrote this book called The Imperfect Pastor. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's just this great, really sort of poetic, almost like this, uh, past, you know, pastoral, but, but at the same time, he has this, uh, kind of has this transcendent way of writing to where you feel like you're almost reading a novel, but the whole time it's just sort of this instructive book. So I really dig that. I really appreciate that a lot. I don't know. No, I think that's, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, uh, for me, there's sort of two different categories because there's writers who make me – who made me think more, like improved the thinking behind my writing. And then there were writers who, who I loved sort of the craft of what they do. Um, and, and on the thinking side of things, Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis and then a guy named Dan Taylor are the three because all three of those guys um, had a way of starting in one place and then walking through this sort of – they, they sort of built a case for something or presented evidence without you really realizing that it was presenting evidence. It wasn't like example one, example two. And you arrive at a conclusion that you're completely convinced of that you didn't quite realize you were getting to. And so there's this uh, – there's there's it, it's extremely logical. It's well-reasoned. It's persuasive without being – you know, you don't feel like you're getting clubbed over the head. And then for Lewis, the, his my favorite book of C.S. Lewis's is uh, his his book Letters to Children, because because he was a genius who wrote about all of these you know massive subjects, but he would take the time and write to little kids, and that was one that made me just realize, oh, you don't you don't have to get pigeonholed as a writer or as a thinker. You can right. you, you can you can cover this breadth, and you can take things really really seriously, and you can be really lighthearted and and kind of run the gamut. And Lewis was hilarious, and he loved to have a good time. So that was that was one aspect. And then in terms of the craft of writing, novels always seem to capture me more mm-hmm. easily than uh, than nonfiction. Maybe it's just because I don't know. Maybe for whatever reason. So. Peace Like a River by Leif Anger is one. To Kill a Mockingbird was one. Just these books that you just read and they the way that they are written just sucks you in and you forget that you're reading and you're just in the story. Mm. Yeah, I mean Barnabas, man, Leif Anger, I mean I would say that to me he is like I, I think he's like probably the greatest writer of our of our era right now. He, I mean I think that guy is fantastic. I wish he would write more books. I realize that I mean, he he has a little bit of the uh, the Harper Lee kind of thing where he puts out a book and then just disappears for a long time. Now, granted, Harper Lee disappeared for like sixty years, but um, but he yeah, but, but nobody it, writes like him. Nobody writes like this it, guy. Yeah. Peace like a river and To Kill a Mockingbird left me with the same sense when I read yes. them. Like there was the same sort of feeling. And then in terms of craft for for sort of nonfiction, but. But trying to personalize writing a little bit, so working yourself into the writing, sharing some of your story, some of your experiences. Donald Miller is incredibly gifted at it. Uh, some of his books are a little navel-gazy, but some of his work is just phenomenal on that front and sort of his reflective bent on things. doesn't even matter if you agree with him. I'm purely talking about the craft. I, I think he's a good thinker too, but but his craftsmanship is uh, is. Top notch, and then uh, and then Indy Wilson, Nate Wilson um, is is another one, and his is a style that I would never even try to duplicate. But it's a style that I look at and I just go, he he takes nonfiction thoughts and writes them kind of like what you were saying earlier, Ronnie, in sort of that poetic, reflective mm-hmm. way. And he's he's whimsical in how he writes, and that's not me. Like I don't have that knack, but. Mm-hmm. 
it when he when I read that it is a it is something that I look at and I go, that's a tool I would like to put in my writing toolbox. And he's he's excellent with words. And again, taking you through sort of a journey to a truth that you didn't really realize you were arriving at. So those are just a handful of the ones that, that I look at and I go, those have all been influential in either how I write or how I would like to write. Much more extensive than my list. What do you got, Big T? Oh, yeah, I've got some. Pipe is Indy Wilson. Is he somebody's kid? That's Doug Wilson's son. Oh, that's what I thought. And yeah. Doug, Doug Wilson, I'm I'm always reluctant to bring him up because there are a few oh, yeah, more a lot like of controversy there. yeah, man, that that guy is a is a lightning rod. But just again, as a writer, he's a good writer, especially yeah. if you like satire, yeah. and and that sort of clever cynicism. He is a gifted writer. You will not agree with a lot of what he writes, but he's really really good. He's a great writer. He's definitely a great writer. Yeah. Boys, it's funny. I was uh, I was talking with Pipe off the air about this, and. Um, it occurred to me, I don't think I've ever read a book that I didn't want to read, um, which is probably an indictment of like all the years I spent in school not reading the books that were assigned. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of not reading in school as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I had this interesting moment shortly after I met Double K in college where I was, uh, I was just fresh off like some injuries and, and not being able to play football anymore at the time. And, uh, you know, really up to that point in my life, I had only ever read like Sports Illustrated and sports biographies. Like I was the world's worst reader probably. And she uh, she gave me a copy of J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. And she was like, I, I think you'll like this. You know, I think you'll you'll think this is clever. And I read it and I loved it. And, you know, really, I think that book more than any other probably made me want to be a writer just because the I think the the voice and the character I, I just liked so much and I related and I was like, wait a minute, this this character, like he talks like I talk, you know, and he thinks like I think. And, you know, I thought there might be potential there to uh, to to communicate in kind of a cool way. So um, so really that one Catcher in the Rye, I think, was the one that made me probably want to be a writer. And, and the I think the author that's fed me the most since I've been a writer is uh, David Foster Wallace. Um Again, kind of, kind of did the whole spectrum of of genres. You know, he wrote Infinite Jest, which is the kind of the quintessential postmodern novel. But then he did a bunch of nonfiction, uh, a bunch of essays uh, that appeared at a bunch of different places, some short stories. So, um, so yeah, I can pick up a Wallace book and and if I've got a couple minutes, just flip to a random page and and lose myself in the writing. So. Uh, those are a couple for me that were uh, that were important. But the great thing about books is that, um, you know, you can never read through all of them. You know, I mean, there's always authors and always people, I think, that that pique your interest. And the great thing I think about being an author is that, you know, you can keep getting good at it, you know, right up until the very end. So do you guys reread books? I do. Yeah, I do quite often. Um, in fact, sometimes I get discouraged and I feel like there's there's nothing new that I actually want to read. Um, so then I'll go back and start just rereading the same 10 things, which is dumb. <laughs> I need to like push myself to read new things. What, what yeah, about I you? read it. What about yeah, you? I read, uh, I reread fiction. I don't, I don't reread as much nonfiction, but I tend to be more drawn into rereading some fiction. Um, because again, it's kind of, I'm kind of like you Piper, like the fic fiction is what really stirs my emotions. And because I tend to be really nostalgic and I, I kind of have a bent towards nostalgia. Um, fiction kind of does that to me, and it kind of kind of heightens those emotions for me, good or bad. It's kind of what it does for me, and um, so I, I really relate a lot of memories to the time. It's kind of like music when you were listening to that particular song, reading that specific book, and it kind of draws up a lot of 
a lot of memory for me. So yeah, fiction would be something I go back and, and reread for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't reread much at all, which is why a question like this is a little bit challenging because it just has to be like a signpost book that I read and it left such an impact because there's almost no books that I just go back to time and again. And it's not because I I don't think they're worth going back to. I just have sort of this weird propensity. I do the same thing with like restaurants. I'll go to a restaurant and think it's amazing, but then I have to go find the next great place. I don't really go back to the same places over and over again. So yeah, I just I think that has something to do with books that influence us. Like because there are some people who continue to go back to the same authors, and and so that becomes a real distinct influence on style or, or inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly sort of looking for what's the next good book or the next good style. And so it, it's just it's just a different way of engaging good writing. For sure, I'm with you. Well, boys, we've uh, we have wandered to and fro. Anything uh, anything to add before we sign off? Um, we took care of our sponsor. Uh, we need to take care of the guys at Resonate Recording who, uh, who always take care of us. They do. Um, they make us sound uh, good even when the audio is not uh, tip-top because of some – Although I will say you, you may notice, listeners, that the audio this time is, is a hair better. Because, oh, that's right. Because Ronnie – Ronnie had sort of – early on in this podcast, the running joke was that, uh, that Ted used dial-up and, uh, and was talking into a cup with a string on it. Yeah, we're talking very early on in the in the yeah, pod. like, like eighty episodes ago days. or whatever it was, like early tropes <laughs> days. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so yeah, retro, retro at this point. If yeah, if, uh, if you're a happy rant hipster, you were there before it was cool. You remember that? We call that retro rant. Well, Ronnie had effectively replaced Ted on the talking into a cup with a string, except no longer because he now has a, a genuine podcast microphone, and we can all hear his actual dulcet tones. It's really nice. Wow. I know. I'm telling you, it feels like I've reached a new pinnacle with you guys. And it's, it's just a pleasure being here now within the same realm that you guys have been operating in. So, Although this yeah. goes counter to what you said last episode, which was how much you enjoy bad audio quality. Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, when it comes to recordings, yeah, I kind of have a thing for kind of low fidelity kind of quality recordings, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't relate to something where you just need to hear voices. So let me, let me qualify that a little bit. Got you. And we care about our listeners. Absolutely. And we care so much that again, we are willing to, uh, to travel, to have a happy rant confab of some kind. So, uh, weigh in on Twitter Drop us an email. Let us know what you think about that idea, if you would also be willing to travel for that. And uh, until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.